Welcome to So You Need a Video, the only podcast that we're aware of about simplifying your brand's sales message with video. Hi, and welcome to the show. I'm Guy Bauer. I'm the CEO and creative director of Umalt. I'm joined by Tori Merritt, our account director, head of client services. Hey. Hello. And by Steve Lindstrom, copywriter. Hello. How would you describe yourself? I'm a loser copywriter. Oh, get out of here. <laughs> no, I've been a copywriter. I've been like in the marketing game my whole life doing like a million different things. Worked for a long time for a big, you know, Fortune 50 company, um, you know, ran the the circus there and hired writers and all that stuff. Uh, did a bunch of software stuff. Most recently spent about five years at a startup that crowdsourced creative. But the whole time, the through line for the work that I did was writing. Mm -hmm. Sooner or later, wherever I was, however I was announced coming in the door, people would figure out, hey, this guy can write. He can make this stuff sparkle a little bit. Yeah. So usually I was used, you know, throughout my career to polish things. And maybe we can talk about the difference between using a writer to polish and using a writer to construct right. ideas and stories. So. Cool. And I just realized because I'm sick, me and you sound the same now. Yeah, I always sound like this in the, in the morning. <laughs> you have a, good, yeah, I got a lot of gravel there. You have a gravel voice. I like yeah, your voice. Yeah, we'll see how it Isn't really sounds nice? through these fine Sennheiser mics, man. <laughs> <laughs> so today's topic, the reason why Steve is here is, uh, Steve, you wrote an article don't talk don't like a talk sausage. Don't talk like a sausage, yeah. And um, I read it and I love it. It's kind of like, it spoke to me. It's everything I believe in. But just to find, so what do you mean by talking like a sausage? What does that mean? Well, um, one of the things that being in a corporate environment exposed me to was the way that language would sort of um, come and go, like, you know, like a virus. You know, you would see all of a sudden words would show up that had not been used before. I think partner was the first one that like hit me, like when partner became a verb. You we know, partner it, with. Yeah, we partner with, you know, we, we need to partner to do this. And I was like, where did that come from? You know, like it, it really jarred me when I yeah. first heard it. And it was like, this is strange. And then what was odder was like, all of a sudden it was everywhere. Comes a buzzword. It was it was something that people said to sort of show their secret membership card in the corporate hierarchy or whatever and say, yeah, I belong. I get it. You know, I, right. I talk like this too. And stuff like that just spreads. Sometimes it sticks. I think it's another thing that's odd about this phenomenon is I thought originally partner would come and go, but it didn't. It's still around. I mean, it's very much, you know, part of the vocabulary now. And the other thing that you see now is that that's sort of the general trend. Sooner or later, Webster gives up, you know, and just goes, yeah, you know, I guess we'll allow this sense of this term or phrase. Another uh, uh, one of recent vintage that Webster's, I think, just gave up on, you know, we language geeks sit around and like, you know, when, when the announcement comes, it's like, oh, you know, there it goes. <laughs> and the last one was uh, hone in on. <laughs> I also wrote a blog post about that. Don't hone in on me, bro. Um, but that's like originally it's home in on. Like right? a homing pigeon. Because homing, right. You know, it's like it started actually homing on the phrase. I looked it up. It's uh, It came in heavy with uh, radar in World War II. You would okay. home in on the target okay. via radar, which is, you know, reflects the way radar works. It, it has like a sense to it. 
to hone something is to, you know, sharpen its edge. And, you know, the notion of like to edge in on seems like it's not right. It's just a cool, it was like coined literally as a cooler home in on. Somebody thought, oh, that sounds kind of cool. I like the way that the, that that sense blends. It's like I'm sharpening in on, mm-hmm. and it's really just, just junk. It's nothing. Right. But it's a way that all of a sudden it sounds slightly cooler than home in on, and, and everybody jumps on it, you know. It sounds slightly cooler, but one of the points I try to make frequently is it isn't cooler, you know. I'm aware that I frequently sound like a grammar scold, right? You know, like, oh, there's this, like, little group you're, of people. You're in the, that, the chat. They get to get on you're Facebook, on and they talk about the, the little business, you know, cliches that they hate the most. And it's kind of like we're, like, you know, model airplane makers or civil war recreators, and we're going to preserve this, mm-hmm. you know, old idea. And I get that we sound like that, but the fact of the matter is there are more of us than you think— you know, people that really listen, and in fact, even people who use terms like hone in on and partner and empower and I use all impactful, <laughs> even those people trust people less right. who use those terms. Oh, that's interesting. Right? I mean, it's like, that's the really weird jujitsu going on in this thing. It's like you are more affected by somebody who doesn't use those recent coinages and I did an experiment. I downloaded a bunch of the very best TED Talks. You can get the scripts. Mm-hmm. And I did a search for, like, you know, empowers and hone-in-ons and impactfuls. And they don't show up that often. Those people talk a bit more plainly, and they don't tend to use words as, like, objects. Mm-hmm. Right. Right? And that's the other part of this we can... can When you use words like hone in on or impactful or empower, right? Aren't you really just saying, I don't know what to say here, so I'm just going to pick from the public domain of words? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's part of it. Um, One of the examples, you know, I try to point to when I'm just discussing this, you know, over beers at a bar or something, is look at the Gettysburg Address. Beyond the four score and seven years ago thing, which is pretty, you know... It rings out over the years. But beyond that, it's all very simple words. And what's happening is like simple words are being used to create a subtle and deep construct. And it's the construct, it's the architecture of the whole argument that, you know, declares itself over time as you're reading that, you know, and you can, you know, it's a pretty quick read. Yeah. But it's it's a great lesson, anybody listening to this podcast, just go look at it and note that there's no sizzle words, there's no stunt language right. or anything. Again, beyond that, that right. stunner beginning, it's just very plain language that is pulling together a, a big idea. Right. Yeah. A, a very big, you know, several thoughts right. that, that weave together. And Part of what I think people give up when they start using, like, uh, trinket words, ornament words, is the desi- the very desire to get at the deeper meaning of what they're saying. There's—so I have so many thoughts as you're speaking here. <laughs> I mean, you're speaking to my soul. Um, I love it. I think uh, one thought is I actually was just watching a Steve Jobs presentation from, like— it was, like, not even a—my YouTube just starts suggesting weird videos to me. So it's, like, Steve Jobs introducing— the MacBook Air or whatever. Right, right. And I was like so struck by how simple he spoke. Just yeah. so simple. No big words, 
no smart words. I feel like people use these words because they want to look smart. Like you said, look in the club or look like they're yeah. part of it. And I agree with you. He used simple words to illustrate a quite complex thought for you. Right. But the way he communicated into your brain was through just very base language. Yeah. And I think that's the thing is like it is very often. I There's another um, one of these words that showed up uh, that again, like <laughs> the first time I heard it, my, they just clank against my ear. You know, it's like it's like watching a basketball like shot in the first round of the NCAA is just like go into the stands. Impactful. Yeah. I was like, what is what the hell is that? Like, what is going on there? And it's basically, to me, it's a really great one of these because it really demonstrates what these words do. It sort of empties meaning, right? There's a million other things to say. Influential, um, uh, you know, it had an effect. It, how did it have its effect? There's all this stuff behind that you really want to get to and talk about or that people would be interested in. But impactful just says it all. Right. And it sounds kind of tough. And it sounds kind of manly, and it sounds like full of action, like another favorite, actionable, which, <laughs> you know, is a legal term that, you know, meant something back in the day. Now it means take action. Actionable insights. Now, yeah, insights are actionable. Uh, if, <laughs> if you have an insight that isn't actionable, like, I mean, what do you do? So what are some <laughs> other sausage words you have on your list? I uh, think everyone just start rolling your hate recorder and— um, where, where does sausage yeah, come well, from that's is my, my first my, question. My mom used to say, you know, you're talking like a sausage. Uh-huh. You know, don't talk like a sausage. And, you know, to me, like, I kind of, I don't know how they came back, but I like the idea of, like, you know, something just big and fat, you know, and, like, just stuffed full, full of, of like, grease and stuff. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Okay. There, you know, Again, you know, to go to Guy's point about it's like this desire to fill the space. Right. You know? Not a lot of sustenance. Yeah, it's not good. Well, I think it's like also human nature's desire to be part of something. Like, I think that's why meme culture explodes because someone makes a video of, you know, on TikTok of Old Town Road, you know, turning into cowboys or whatever. Someone sees that and then they want to make a video with their friends, right? Right. That's like how a meme starts. A meme starts because you see the vessel that someone has made, the format for a kind of art, you know, way to express yourself, and people want to do it themselves. And I think with words, the problem is, though, is that words are not memes. So just because right now impactful is a keyword that's in every speech, in every, you know, keynote that I see in all these conferences... Just because someone smart is using impactful doesn't mean that you should. Right, right. But it's almost like we feel that we're not smart if we don't use it. Right. Well, I think at the very core of this, like if you want to get like, this is where, you know. Let's get deep. Okay. You know, it's late (laughs) at night, you know. Um, I think like this goes, this like really goes all the way back to like, you know, the very beginning of like human history and like what it means to be human in, in a sense. And you know, Jawa, like his statement or whatever, the, the statement that, you know, the Jewish people brought to the world is that, you know, I am the word I got, you know, like, and like that was a really radical moment where like basically the primitive ideology, which was around symbols and around like the, you know, the eagle, the ocean, the mountain, essentially, you know, the whole notion of like, you know, the primitive iconography was replaced with the word. 
the word is an argument. It is, you know, it's it's a thing that is essentially invisible, hmm. right? Which is like the, the yeah. equation of the invisible, the word and God was all sort of like put together there. And there's this whole, you know, idea of like, you know, is that what really makes us different? And there's a long discussion and argument about that, all the big philosophers. It's like our ability to reason and our language separates us from the natural world and connects us to each other in a way that's fundamentally different. And what we've been witnessing, I think, over the past half century for sure, I'm old now, it might be a century, (laughs) but is like this, there's sort of like this battle going on between the image and the word. And the image is winning out, you know. And here I am talking to the video guys, you know. Right. You know the image is winning out. <laughs> you know, right. that's what people pay you to create. But in a funny way, like, I think it's important to stay back with the word and to not give in to this impulse, you know, to go immediately to the image. And for the most part, these words that I see are words used as images. Go for it. Let's hear you the know, Well, I mean, you've got, like, the— Next level, um, insight into, let's see, lean in. Oh, my God, that is everywhere now. Empower, the go-to-market, uh, <laughs> visibility into. I, I Most of mine are, like, kind of old because I've been out of the, I'm out of the, you know, oh, disruption and disruptor, you know, level set, you know, th- that whole deal. Right. There's just all these kinds of net-net phrases that people just reach for, because they seem to have meaning built into them. Right. And if you have enough of them and you float enough of those out, um, it's going to take care of you. You don't really have to do the homework that, like, Lincoln did or that Jobs, Jobs does. Right. Or that, frankly, you know, most really great advertisers do. Right. Look at the ads that that are out there. Like, the more money that's being spent, you know, when it's Wyden and Kennedy, when it's Leo Burnett— there's a real simplicity to the language and to the whole, like, proposition. You can tell somebody what the ad's about very quickly and very yeah. easily. Yeah. So it's almost like, I think, the actionable insight here. <laughs> yeah, right. Let's, have, let's partner on this. Almost, yeah. <laughs> is, you know, I think to stop talking like what I'm hearing is to stop talking like a sausage, it's almost like you have to start from zero every time. Try not to use words that, shortcut there's no shortcuts so like get your thought right and then and then try to articulate that thought using no as simply as possible as simply as possible using none none of it's so funny like i I spent a lot of time at the at the last gig i was at writing creative briefs yep and you know frequently we would get like a rough draft in from the marketing people Mm -hmm. and they would be chock full of you know these kinds of phrases and you know, we want to reach out and connect to, you know, the millennial generation and their, you know, and, you know, we want to rate experience above belongings, all this kind of stuff that you just like see over and over. It's white noise. Because if oh, you see it by definition over and over, it does become Yeah, right. Noise. Nobody cares. Nobody's going to hear any of it. You right, know? right. So they actually, you, you put more pressure on your audience by using these words because what they have to do is engage their brain to filter out the noise and then look at the few but, words but they you've won't. given they just, them. They just, they they just, just fall disengage. asleep immediately. Right. Yeah. You know I mean? That's what I do. Yeah. When somebody like starts throwing out these, you know, right. clusters, you know, and I'm at a, you know, at a, 
business meeting or something like that. That's when the Facebook comes up on the laptop and it's like, see ya. You know, there's a great Weird Al <laughs> song. I'm a Weird Al fan. Uh, I cherish Somebody his entire collection. Somebody has to do it. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I actually so went to a Weird Al. some people out there. Oh, no, I sat front row at a Weird Al <laughs> concert and my friends were with me and they were making fun of me the whole time because I knew every song. Anyway, there's a Weird Al song called uh, Mission Statement. And it's literally, uh, it's a parody to um, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, uh, CSNY song. Yeah. Um, Teach Your Children Well, or which one? No, it's uh, the, uh, oh, how does it go? We will, we'll, da, we'll, we'll figure it out. out. Whatever. <laughs> anyway, so there's, and we'll put it, we'll put the video in the show notes. Mark, I'm, I'm about to get the hook here. We'll put the video in the show notes, but the entire song is a bunch of like nonsense, like corporate statements strung up together. But when you hear this song, you've heard this mission statement a million before. times yeah, before. Yeah, but when you take a step back and kind of like, Look at the macro statement of what's being said. Yeah. Absolutely nothing. Zero there's, is being said. There's also a guy out there that does a TED Talk that's basically empty, and it's just all of the TED Talk motion and memes and like right. the, the way the stuff is done. I want to come back to the brief thing, though. Yeah. Um, I left that off. We would get that stuff, and I would always just tell people, like, I would always get back to them and say, like, can you just tell me as plainly as possible what it is that you're trying to say and what you're trying to accomplish? Yeah. Just tell me on the phone. Or, you know, write it down in as few words as possible or whatever. And invariably, people would give you something, oh, I get it, that's great. Now I've got something right. I can work with. Right. And it's kind of like, I guess in the context of our discussion today, it's sort of the Gettysburg Address exercise. Like, how simple can you make this? How flat-footed can you say this? Yeah, that's, I guess that's my question is, uh, from the account perspective, and my day-to-day, there are certain buzzwords that if you don't mention them, people will feel like you're not getting it or you're not getting their brand. You don't understand. Like you said, you're not in the club. So how can, as a marketer, to avoid using those words, what can I do to make sure that I'm still connecting with my audience in a way that's meaningful and has context without throwing out buzzwords? Yeah, I think, well, first of all, there's like a two different... Mm -hmm. There's two directions in the connection. One is to talk back to your client, right? You know, and I, my theory is that for the most part, they're the ones that are wanting to hear those buzzwords. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's just, it's, it's so more like have a discussion. You have to like talk to people. Back. Yeah. You have to let them know. There's a great line or joke that a, a good account manager told me about what happens when creatives give up because the insistence from the client is so intense on like, I want it to be this way, I want it to say this. Mm -hmm. When that happens, she says, your usually your strategy is showing. And that's the thing that you want to avoid have happen, right? You want like the discussion to like seem to flow organically. You don't want it to like show the bones of the strategy. Right. And I think that's a good way to talk, you know, back to clients and say, look, you know, like, I can just lay these things out for you if you want, but that's not what you hired me for, you know. But the other bit that always shows up in my mind that is a, a major consideration, you know, since we're kind of talking about the briefing and the back and forth between the client, is like just how much do you want to say? How much are you trying to get across? Mm -hmm. And, you know, in general, I think that the brands tend to want to have too much they're just trying to carry too much freight. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys have had this where, like, we got a 30-second video and we want to get these nine points across. It's mm -hmm. like, 
not going to happen, you know. Well, I mean, no. unless you want us to read them off, right. you know, and nobody's going to want to see that. Nobody is going to engage with that, right. you know. And I think that's a major sort of procedural problem that a lot of brands run into where the creative brief, the creation of the video, the creation of the ad is a big deal, right? And you get higher-ups involved that are typically not involved in fashioning messages right. or looking at creative. And you get, like, a bigger group of people together. And the easiest way to manage that process and that, you know, need is to just add more things to the list. Right. And that's a fatal problem. I think it, what you're really doing, what brands really tend to be doing there is, like, they're interceding themselves between the creative and the audience, and as much as possible, a brand should work to sit behind the creative and let the creative really connect with their audience because that's the vital connection. Pull a Steve Jobs happen. and basically use, instead of trying to make the words the ideas, right? Instead, use your words to build one idea instead creative. of having multiple ideas trying to embed it in these yep. in these sausage words. For brands, I think, you know, I, I'm kind of talking about the creative development process here. I, I tend to fixate on it. But for brands, you're building a frame for a creative entity to connect with their audience. Right. And when there's an insistence on, like, you know, certain, like, corporate phrasing and stuff like that, um, it's just going to, you know, falsify that connection. So we talked about avoiding using empty language, using filler language. So we talked about also it can be uncomfortable to not use those words and not use buzzwords when you expect an audience, especially an internal audience, they're sitting there looking for them. Well, did you use this word? Did you use that word? Like I told you that these are our keywords for our brand. So if you're in that position, Steve, how can you approach selling someone on, like simplifying the language and making it more of a, con like, I don't want to say more of a conversation because that's a buzzword there too, <laughs> um, but making it more simple, actually talking to someone versus just throwing out buzzwords, hoping that they land. Well, I think that, again, like, you know, the, the recommendation I already have is like to try to express what it is that you're saying as simply as possible. Yeah. And I think the best technique for doing that is to simply talk um, and record. If you want to have a record of it, you know, record what somebody says. Yep. I use that as a creative all the time. Like, what is it you're really trying to say here? And usually the sentences that come out immediately, you know, in, in an informal sort of setting like that, will express the thing that you're trying to get at yeah. perfectly well. You know, if you're actually looking at writing, you know, if you're uh, in the trade or, or whatever, you know, there's all kinds of tools for simplifying uh, writing these days. I mean, yeah. the Hemingway app is fantastic. I love that. I, you um, turned me on to that thing. I yeah, love that. no, it's great. It's, it's totally um, free, too. It's free, and it does a great job of cutting to the chase. Yeah. Uh, I think gives Hemingway a little more credit than he's got to, but that's you know that's a hope isn't here. She hates Hemingway, but. Yeah, you know. <laughs> and um, I guess another thing that another theme that kind of runs through some of the stuff that I've talked about here is um, exposing the stuff that you're creating to a broader group. Yeah, one of the great values that I saw working in a crowdsourced situation was that you know we had a bigger group of people like sort of look at ideas and try to generate ideas and filter ideas and edit ideas. 
um, one of the things that you want to do is like kind of have like a test, like, you know, of focus like, group is or... this, well, whether it's focus groups or just people within your own shop. Yeah. yeah. You know, a lot of the sausage language and another reason sausage is a good word for it is it's because it's male dominated. There's this like sort of feeling of physical action, you know, and if you think about some of the stuff like the open, the kimonos and, the, oh, I hate that you too. know, and all the military phraseology and yeah. stuff that is used frequently in presentations, you know, if you have more women look at the cop, yeah. if you have younger people rather than older people, people like you know, that aren't in the C-suite looking at the copy and allow them to have something to say about it and encourage people, create an environment where people can have their say and give you their take. I think that, you know, you're going to stand a better chance of like not putting yourself in the position of like apologizing the day after the Super Bowl. We've experienced (laughs) just having somebody else take a look at something like I would I don't have the experiences that they have. They brought something I would never have thought of. We definitely should modify that. Just having those different perspectives on something even specific. It's not even the visuals, but like you said, the language or the way that it's used has been huge for us as well. Right. And the more technical or detailed the, mm-hmm. the culture that you're operating in, the more important it is to get the voice of people that are on the floor. Yeah. yeah. Or people that are actually like experienced with, you know, what it, whatever it is that you're talking about. Focus groups are interesting. Um, I think they're fun social uh, sort of <laughs> phenomenon to yeah. watch. But one of the things that I would recommend for anybody pursuing focus groups, especially looking at copy or concepts, get a focus group uh, person who's going to be tough on you. Yeah. And somebody that will represent the people that are being brought into the room. I've been in many, many uh, focus group sessions where basically what starts to happen is a hunt to find the person that agrees with what we thought coming in. And the only way to prevent that from happening is having, like, the people who are running the research show and the focus group moderator lay down, you know, the law on, like, how the conversation will take place. Yeah. Yeah. So it's actually objective versus just kind of that cognitive dissonance or trying to just find something that agrees with you. You've been to focus groups, right? The first thing that people do is, like, they start sort of caricaturing the people that are on the other side of the glass. Yeah. They tell little stories about them. They they sort of, like, you know, there's a little condescension going on. They're trying to create, like, audience personas for real people. Right, exactly. And it's, like, if you have, like, really, really good researchers and really good focus group consultants actually like they're going to ennoble and amplify yeah you know the stuff that's coming from you know the real people because especially when you're looking at a tagline or something like that you're you want to hear the one guy that goes that struck me as this right Right. you know that's what you're paying all the money for yeah cool (laughs) awesome well steve thank you um if I can summarize this, I'm going to do a poor job of summarizing the key takeaways. But I, I think the biggest takeaway I see is, you know, force yourself or your team or whoever's writing to explain the idea in the simplest language yep. possible. Talk to people like they're people. Right. Like you always say, you know, your your clients don't wear their suits to bed. What's the phrase you use? Yeah. Uh, uh, my whole thing is that customers don't wear their suits to bed. I have so. worn my suit to bed, though. Yeah. <laughs> Long night. That's a different. That's a different, that's a different podcast. podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, um, but yeah, you know, clients don't wear their suits to bed. So like, just because we use words like disparate, whatever, in all the language doesn't mean that that's how people really want to be spoken to. And really, it sounds to me that, you know, sausage words are really just white noise. So you're, you're doing yourself and your brand a disservice by using them. 
and one last thing I would say is just like consider the copywriter's role not so much as a polishing or decoration exercise. What you really want to try to do is find people who are crafting your story and you know, the plot line and the arc, it's an architectural exercise more than it is painting yeah. and like, you know, gloss and finishing numbers. work. Absolutely. Cool. Well, thank you. This has been a very philosophical episode of <laughs> Those are my So You Need a Video. Thank you for listening to So You Need a Video. For more information and links to any videos, the Weird Al video in particular, yeah. <laughs> we talked about in this episode, visit our website at umalt.com. That's U-M-A-U-L-T.com. And if you liked what you heard today, please subscribe and leave us a review on your podcast app of choice. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Tori. Thanks, guys. Thank you, guys.